Hello, and welcome to the podcast of the Central Church of God, located at 5120 Central Avenue, Portage, Indiana. Here, you can listen to Sunday service by Pastor Robert Sluter. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want more information about our church, please feel free to contact Pastor Robert at 219-963-8496. Pastor Sluter's not here today. Uh, he's in Tennessee and Cleveland. Annette and uh, Roger went through MIP and CAMS and they graduated. And they always do a graduation ceremony down in Cleveland. So yesterday they did their graduation ceremony. So today we're going to have our own uh, Reverend Rafael Martinez that's going to bring the word. So after praise and worship, he's going to be up here. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. How many of you remember when you passed over from death to life? Hallelujah. Give him praise for that. Hallelujah. This isn't a concert. This isn't a rock star. This is the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who brought us out of death to life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Lords are good to us. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's so good to us. Hallelujah. But before you sit down, I know some of you already have, but I'm going to ask you just, just for a moment. Why don't you look at somebody, turn and go about two people and tell them, first of all, how good they look, how good they are, and that you're blessed to be with them here at the house of God. Go, go around. Move, let's mingle for just a moment. And believe me, I'll, I'll tell you when to come back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. In a place that should be safe and secure from all alarms. Amen? Amen. It's a wonderful time. The height of the, of the, of the week for so many. Sunday is a great time to come to the house of God. It's a good time to come any time of the week. Amen? Praise God. It's good to come with family and friends. And we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to minister to you. My wife and I have, have been here just a little over a year, and we want to tell you thank you for welcoming us, for making us feel like we're worth a million dollars. And it's and it's not because you're trying to be fake, because it's, it's, it's the way our church is, amen? We love people because God loves us, amen? 
We love him because he first loved us. And though you already sat down, but one, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word. I have a message for you that the Lord just immediately burned into me last week as I was listening to Pastor. It's got a very challenging title. It's called Pieces for All Our Puzzles. Pieces for All Our Puzzles. Our sermon text is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Let's read that here. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you know that this is a a day of burdens? Life on our fallen planet, it's never been easy. Never. But just in the last few years, it's gotten, I think, a little bit more over the top. We want to hear what God says to us here today. Father, we're here to gather. <laughs> we thank you, God, that we can rejoice and celebrate in you, that we, can, that we can come together in fellowship, that we have family and friends that we can share our lives with, and we're, we're looking forward to doing more of that this afternoon. And now, Lord, just for the next few moments, let your spirit fall upon us again. Let your spirit once again be amongst us and open to our eyes this wonderful promise that you give us now. Let just for the next few moments, those who may be heavy burdened and bound, hear, God, about the depths and the height, and the breadth, and the length of your greatness towards them. How much you want them to see you as not just Savior, but as friend, as lover, as the one that will deliver them out of all their fears. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Let your spirit do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for jumping up and down. You may be seated this time for a little bit. Hallelujah. Thank you. Your pastor is preaching in his message, uh, message series that, that, uh, about how we need to be peacemakers. Peacemakers are those people that go out and make peace, that become examples of that in our community. And if, we're, but if we are all going to be the peacemakers that God wants us to be, then certainly we've got to really understand what peace really is. You know, peace is elusive in our world of conflict. You know, there's a definition of peace that says when you have freedom from disturbance, that's what peace is, right? Uh, when you have harmony in all the conditions of life. The ancient Roman philosopher Cicero, not Cicero Avenue, that's what it's named for, he said that peace is liberty in tranquility. That's not a bad definition. I think everybody understands when, when peace is around, right? Everybody understands when peace visits us. Uh, but unfortunately, th- life is such that it can quickly, quickly, it can quickly remind you that uh, this fragile state of affairs we call peace can be so easily overturned in our changing world of concern and chaos. So, so I want to ask you this morning, 
as we've, we've heard the sermon text, what goes through your mind when Jesus makes that declaration to you? What is peace like in your life? Is it financial stability? Is it physical health? Is it tranquility in all your relationships? How many would like to see that? All relationships. Is it when you're safe and secure, as the old hymn says, from all alarms? Is it a place like this absolutely glorious mountaintop in Tennessee? The last month I was there, I traveled up to this place called Buck Bald. You won't forget after that, after hearing that. Buck Bald is a sheared off mountaintop in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And I went up there and I just heard about it. And it, 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 it was a, there used to have a fire tower up there. It's gone now. The, the function of, the, of fire watching is no longer there by the park service. But it's just an abandoned top. You can, and you can drive easily all the way to the top. And on, and on that top is a grassy knoll. You can spend nights there. You can camp there. And I just happened to go up there one of the last mornings I was in Tennessee to go up there. I, I, said, I always wanted to see this, and I looked, and that's what I beheld. One of the most beautiful sights to see the sun coming up over the mountains of Tennessee. Another place I like to go to is, is a place called Whitestone Mountain. I got this close to seeing it with Elizabeth, and we ended up turning left instead of right. <laughs> to go down 64 Highway into western North Carolina. It's a place called Whitestone Mountain. If you are friendly with me on Facebook, you've probably seen me put a video on quite a bit that I love to play when I get a little stressed or something. I play it. It's just a very calming place. It's just, it's just another easily accessible mountain. It's already, the road there is already several thousand feet up. So you just drive up to the top there again. And it's a simple little walk, very, very level ground. It's probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this is, you can't get away from this, but, the, but you, you'll see a site like this and so much more because you're already 5,000 feet looking out over the vastness of God's beauty. You're seeing clouds. You're seeing, you're seeing them flow, the, uh, cast shadows flowing over those, those beautiful green mountains. And all you hear is the wind going through the trees behind you and, and hawks as they call. I mean, that's a beautiful place of peace, right? But the uncertainties of life remind us once again that peace is often much more than what we see around us. Yes, I could, I, those are great places to go. You have, perhaps have your own. But maybe peace is playing with your grandchildren. Maybe it's actually having time off. <laughs> everyone, we, again, everyone has their peace, and that's fine. That's because we're all individuals, all human beings, individuals, with our own individual way of looking at life. But peace is so much more than just those places. You know, it was Sunday, January 25th, 1735, in the North Atlantic Ocean. And it can't be mistaken for a Sunday in Northwest Indiana. No matter how bad the winters get, it can't be. How many sailors do I have? Any, any veterans? Any boaters who've been out on, on rough seas? Raise your hands. I want to see if you guys are still around. I know at least one, he won't raise his hand. So, But if you've been in the North Atlantic Ocean during a storm, you won't forget it. It's, it'll make any ride anywhere you go to in Cedar Park or Great, or, or Great America pale in comparison. It's, it was a terrifying seascape of high and stormy seas, tossing mountainous swells towering 10 to 30 feet high to roll across thousands of square miles of frigid water into screaming winds and everything's gray. Now, I've been in that kind of storm when I was in the Navy on an aircraft carrier. 60,000 tons of the proudest ship, the USS Forrestal, sailing through these seas, 
nine, her 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 uh, bow. Uh, I mean, her flag deck, ninety feet above the ground, above the sea, and yet in that environment, she was just a toy. We are going up and down through it every which way. Even the even the oldest salt on the ship was puking his guts out. It's just just the way it was. And it was that kind of sea that the zealous young Anglican priest John Wesley was, on, was, was finding while he was on board a ship traveling to Savannah, Georgia from England to serve colonists there. He was already well known in England for his famous band of ministers that were called by critics as the Holy Club. Uh, they were men, they were, they were ministers who just simply wanted to better the lives of the communities they served them. And they tried to reach out with spiritual and social aid to the poor and to the downtrodden. For some reason, that was a problem for a lot of people in those days. But, but that's what they were doing. And that's what John was, was, was very much zealously involved with. He was asked to come tend to the needs of the colonists there in Georgia. So in the midst of, of all this, though, Wesley was still, even though he's a minister, a clergyman, he was still quite uncertain about his faith. If you went up to him, he would tell you, and you asked him, John, are you saved? He would tell you, no, I hope I am. I hope to be. That was the kind of thing he was struggling with. And, and so in the midst of those life-threatening storms, uh, he and his fellow pastors were, were probably, well, I understand, be quite anxious and even afraid, even terrified. In that, I mean, I mean you, you imagine being on a ship just rolling, no way around. The shipmaster trying so hard to get through it all. And in one terrible moment, the sea broke over the entire ship and broke the ship's mainsail into pieces. Now, on a sailing ship, when you lose your mainsail, uh, you, you won't be able to maneuver anymore. Your steering's just about gone. And you can't avoid the impact of the high seas. At that point, things get a whole lot more dangerous. So it certainly was an understandably unnerving moment for all of them. So, but in that storm-torn day, however, Wesley was startled out of his fear by looking upon some passengers around him. He saw the calm on the faces of a band of German and Protestant Christians known as Moravians. And they testified to him saying, well, we're neither afraid for ourselves or our children. They had absolute calm in their faces. And they glowed with this radiance of faith in God's presence during every moment of that three-month passage. You imagine going through that for three months? You know, even, even, you know, even, even the rough storms uh, can bring up some. Even, even the, the rough days are just as bad as the storms out on the seas. So when they safely arrived, Wesley just could ne- never could quite get their faces out of his mind. The peace on their faces puzzled him. And they drove him to seek them out when they got ashore to find out how they had arrived at that connection with God that that he even still had yet to find in his own life. Now, faith in God should be our refuge. Amen? Faith should be the ultimate freedom. Sadly, this morning, so many people look to it in vain and find in other places that it's become an ultimate prison, a trap for them. Part of what my wife and I do, we help people who are trapped in cults, in abusive groups. That's, that's part of our passion. And sadly, you would think a, a church should be the greatest place, should be the place you can go get scared. Unfortunately, too many people don't find that. Peace, however, is that harmony that they should have, and they don't. 
But peace, again, if we're talking about it in terms of harmony, it should be that which we find among ourselves, right? In our own hearts, our own minds, among people, and within our hearts, when there's no conflict amongst us. But how exposed this morning, I ask you, how exposed to the elements around you do you feel? Are you tired? Do you sleep and not rest? Are you weary? Are you bewildered? Maybe you're even puzzled about some of the things that you're facing right now. Some things you're going to have to face this week. Uh, Join the crowd. We're all in it. We all face this. Those burdened with fear, struggle, and confusion. We grapple with it every day. The world isn't getting easier to live in either, is it? In the last couple of years, you know, COVID was one thing, and I think society has maybe tipped to a point to where we're going someplace we've never been before. I think we need to realize that, brothers and sisters. The normal's not coming back. There's a new normal ahead, and we don't know where we're going quite just yet. But that's fine, because again, what we're talking about is a call of Jesus for us for pieces in all of our own individual puzzles to a calm for all of our storms. It doesn't matter how crazy the world may get. We can turn to Christ alone in faith and reach up to him and say, Lord, you have this. If you're going to church, if you're just studying, whatever you, whatever you choose to do, whether you're maybe studying philosophy, maybe you're doing something else. I mean, you're doing whatever you can to make sense of life. Bless you. To those at home listening, bless you. We, 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 we want to see people do well, but sometimes, sometimes, that, doesn't, that just isn't enough. Let's read our scripture text one more time. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. That's a promise there. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, here in Matthew chapter 11, we read that while the 12 disciples of Christ were out preaching in Israel, Jesus remained in Galilee, declaring to the masses that were following him some very heavy words. I'm giving a little context to what this whole scripture was about. He was preaching to people that were all around him, chasing after him while his disciples were all out doing their own thing, as called by him to ministry. And these towns were called Chorazin, Bethsaida, and and Capernaum. We can make it a little more contemporary. Let's say there was Chicago, Hammond, and Portage. Okay, And he's talking to people who had come from all over from those towns to follow him, even as the 12 were out going through all of Israel. And the same Jesus we call the Savior made clear as he spoke to them that he's also a judge. He's a judge of those who refuse his gospel. He's Lord to us for a reason. He determines how we ought to live. And and he rebuked those unrepentant people of those cities who had rejected him. Imagine him. Jesus just called out your hometown and said, Woe, he cries over and over. It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Sodom was probably the depth of depravity 
that, we, that the Bible get, that gives us a description about. There's no need to go back and visit that. But Jesus is saying to the man, it's going to be more tolerable. It's going to be a little less hot and hell for those folks than for you. That's a bold statement. But that's an almighty God speaking. He has the authority to say such things. The continual storms of war and pestilence and cruelty that were sweeping over ancient Israel over and over, still, as he saw, still they were turning to their political messiahs, like, the, like, the, like Herod and, and the Gentile rulers of the Romans. And they looked to their own prosperity and their own industry and their own pro- and everything else they could see around them in those cities. That, was that, that convinced them that things are hunky-dory. They were okay. How sad we think. How sad we think for those cities in Israel, right? We want to say, oh, man, that's terrible. We wouldn't do that. Oh, really? Really? Forgive me, I have to lube the works here. I'd rather have a glass here, but that's all right. We're 2022. You see, we think that Oh, we just would never be there. If, if Jesus was walking right down Central Avenue right now, oh, we'd be right with him, right? We'd do whatever he says, right? All our problems would be taken care of, right? Well, here is an example that there were a lot of people that saw that and could care less. And they reap what they sow. Jesus warning them, it's coming, folks. Be ready. They lived as they pleased. They refused to return back to God. And, and, and John Wesley, however, and the English passengers aboard that ship in that storm, they suffered as they chose to yield to fear and not faith in God. See, too many of those who say they're disciples of Jesus today, they're no different. Many in the Christian church live their own stubbornly set way. We're, as I said, no different. We still wander we want to find our own place apart from what Christ would have us go. But verse 28 says this again. Come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus lays down the line. He's not going to compromise for you and me. He knows better. When my granddaughter wants chocolate bars all day long, I draw a line for her. I miss her tonight. She wasn't, she wasn't draped on my arm today. So, but, but, but she'll come with, Grandpa, Grandpa, I want chocolate. <laughs> and we give her chocolate. I want more chocolate. And at that point, we, we, you have to draw a line and say, no, you, you can't do that, honey. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to mess you up with too much chocolate. So, and then she gets mad. She doesn't get, like, really mad. I've seen kids throw tantrum mad, but she just kind of sticks her little her little lip out and just gets a little upset, but uh, she gets over pretty quickly. But see, he's laying down a line, you know, as I had to with my granddaughter. Jesus lays down a line for all of us. Everyone labors, he says, but few are those that actually come to rest. Peace comes only as we obey Christ's commands for our life. And in our text, Jesus' call isn't a suggestion. I mean, often in the, we evangelicals or those who read the Bible, we read these verses as if they're a, a kindly invitation by a, by a sweet, gentle Jesus. And he is sweet. He is gentle. He does invite. But this is not one of those times. 
this is a divine command by a divine Savior. He's calling us. He's commanding us to come to him. In the same way Jesus tells us, let, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my heart, in my house are many mansions. That's the same Greek, the Greek imperative. What means he's saying, listen, don't be afraid. Come to me. So when we decide we're going to do our own thing and we're going to go ahead and, and, and do whatever it is we think is going to work for us, we're actually disobeying him and we're forsaking the very thing he wants to do and has provide us that rest. He wants to give us rest. In our text, Jesus' call, as I said, isn't a suggestion. It's a command. Come to me, he says. I have to ask you again, are you tired? Are you weary? Is putting that face on you're carrying right now getting a little bit too hard? How long have you been faking it and not quite making it? I have to ask those questions. God laid them in my heart last Sunday for this. If you say, if I say, if you hear anything I say, the big letters right there in white are what I want you to see. The peace of Jesus, according to this verse, can only be known by those who take his yoke upon them. You've got to take his yoke, not yours. Maybe that's why you have some of the struggles you have. Maybe you've been wearing your yoke too long. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, verse 29 says. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I was going to bring one today. I just ran out of time, but I was going to bring actual, a natural yoke. How many of you know, how many of you know what a yoke is? You know, it's, 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 it's an ancient instrument of manual labor that's meant to distribute a burden equally over your shoulders as you carry them around. They can, be, they can be piles of, of clay, they can be fruit, they can be sleeping babies. But, but you can pick them up and with the, with the strongest muscles you have in your body, the, the strong core you have, you can hold them up and you can, and you, you can walk quite away with a yoke carrying heavy things. But Jesus says there's a yoke he wants you to carry. The yoke Christ calls us to take up brings the peace, the rest to our souls we so desperately need. Nothing else takes place of the yoke of Christ in our life. Nothing. Amen? Nothing takes its place. But, oh, we still try, don't we? We still try. So the question I ask you, do you know your yoke? Do you know what your yoke is? Do you know? Every believer in this room should know what the yoke of Christ is for you. No one can tell you what that is. Only your relationship with Christ brings it upon you. Every believer is meant to take one up. So what's yours? See, Jesus commands, as we said, that we take up that uniquely crafted yoke. He means for each of us to carry. But in the carrying of this, however, we gain a rest unlike anything else. Amen. When I lived my own stubborn life without Christ, I was carrying my own yoke full of razor blades and 10-ton weights and misery and guilt. But when Jesus came to me and touched my life, the Pacific Garden Mission, and opened my eyes to an old Scottish preacher telling me about this Jesus, I began realizing that Jesus loved me. He knew me, and he wanted to, me to take his yoke on him. And get that rest. I, that night, I didn't quite respond. 
but to know that there was a God that knew my name, that wanted to give me life. That was, that was a life-changing revelation in itself. A year later, I did give my life to Christ. And that's when things really began to change. And that's when things got really difficult because that's when the world tries to tell you, no, do your own thing. Carry your own way. You're a young sailor. Go ahead. Get a woman in every port. Be drunk. Go on ten, three-day benders when you're ashore and lay on, 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 with, with the boys. I'm just a young, young ex-Catholic trying to figure things out. I'm just like, and I'm trying to figure this whole religious thing out. I'm realizing, you know, there's something a whole lot deeper than all this. I just somehow God, by his grace, helped me show there's something deeper than just doing right. He wanted me to be right. So the point is, in the carrying of that yoke, we gain a rest unlike any other. It involves our learning from him. What it is from one who is gentle, humble, and yet almighty. Never mistake people are gentle and lowly as weak. If you met my mother when you were a disobedient six-year-old son, you found that out real quick. Mothers are the strongest creations on the earth when it comes to taking care of of their babies. But they know when they have to really crack the whip and do what they got to do. Amen? Every woman here knows that, so every, 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 every single mother knows that. But the point is, we have to look to Christ and learn what that means. Luke 9.23 says, it's not, in the, it's not in here, but you might want to jot this down. Luke 9.23 is what Jesus says when he talked about following him. He, says, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, that works perfectly with what a yoke is about. A yoke is about being an instrument of labor, but the cross of Christ is an instrument of denial and death. We can both relate directly to the calling Jesus makes on us so we can take a hold of that rest by understanding that we can, that we can only serve him from the heart we've emptied out of our lives so that we can receive whatever he wants us to take. As I said, saying goes, garbage in, garbage out, right? You've got to make room. Something's got to give. If you want the way of Christ, something's got to give. You've got to give up. You've got to lay aside and take up that cross daily so you can then walk with that yoke of ease. What we love, we give ourselves up to. If you call Jesus Lord, shouldn't he have that in your life? Amen? And how do we know what God's will is for our lives? We learn from him by listening to his voice in Scripture and in the whispers of his spirit within us. How many of you understand that the sheep got to know the shepherd's voice? Do you know your shepherd's voice? I ask again, are you confused? Are you puzzled? Maybe you've been listening to the wrong piper too long. Maybe there's some things you're listening to that you probably need to stop. Maybe it's time to start closing your ears to the voices of confusion from your past and from your present and those you think may be calling you from your future. There's a lot of room noise around us, brothers and sisters, saints, fellow believers, fellow servants. There's a lot of stuff yelling loud in our ears every day. Every one of us have that tone. That's constantly going on. I think what Christ is saying to us here, hey, listen to me. When was the last time you've heard your shepherd's voice? I hope it was this morning as you 
came here. I hope you're listening to him now. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As you can see, our, 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 our workers in our illustration here, there are three people holding loads very balanced across them. They knew what was in their yokes. They knew how to carry. A wise man once said very well that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and then left untried. Perhaps the greatest difficulty we have in seeking God is that we so quickly find our attention so easily distracted and diverted to so many other things as we've mentioned. But the rest to your souls can only come this one way, through a complete commitment to knowing Christ personally and learning of him intimately. There's no backwards. There's no, I mean, there's no forwards. There's no black and white. It's straight ahead. You either serve him or you don't. You don't serve him, you won't know of him. You won't know of him, you won't understand what he wants for you. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. Because, we are, because in the church, we're really good at making up that rocket science and creating something that we shouldn't be listening to. Amen? See, if you want pieces in all of your puzzles, this is the foundation of it. This is what Jesus himself would bid you hear this morning. And I could walk out of here and say, I'm done. You've heard what God wants you. But, but there's three areas in our life that, that we need to see God extend through us. That I want to briefly carry in the last part of our, of our message here. We could only just three of these areas. That's because I'm a preacher. We always speak in threes, right? And the order of each text, however, as, we, as you're about to see it, it was slightly changed for each set of verses, but the biblical truth wasn't. So keep that in mind as we read this and we go to our next slide. Now, the first place that God's peace should be settling in our lives is a peace within. The peace within. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15 were written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. And he wrote this. Let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you also were called in one body. And be thankful, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, above them all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know, remember that old song, Peace Like a River? You know, God wants that. Not as a cute lyric to tickle our ears, but something that's a reality in our lives. We're to have, and, we, and it's, it's his will that we have, a, that proverbial peace like a river within us, which first and foremost comes when we know what our yoke is. When we do, the place that, when we know what the yoke is, what the place that God wants in our life to be, we then have a choice. We can do our own thing. And pay the price. Or we can let go and let God truly reign over our lives. What's that old saying? What, what is, what is the, de the definition of insanity? Is doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working. And you're expecting it to work every time. Aren't we tired of that? Are you tired of that? Are you tired of going to doing the same thing over and over again? Having the same conversation. 
having the same drama, having the same struggle, having the same doubt within, having the same grapple with your history. There's an old song that says, listening to the history of your pictures calling you, your memories. I mean, aren't you, a little, aren't you ready to change? Aren't you ready for God to come in? And take care of that with you. The foundation of that peace is when we let into that inner place within the divine power of his love. You see, the love of God is bestowed by our walk with the spirit. It's not ours. Maybe you're wondering why, you're, why it's so hard to, to, to love people, to deal with them. Well, because you're trying in your strength too much. Romans says, Romans chapter 5 says that we have confined the love of God flowing through us, shed abroad in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Now, when the love of God through the Spirit is flowing through us, I can guarantee you there's a lot more strength there that you're going to find trying to love somebody on your own. I can't love certain people in themselves because of what they do and say in my own strength. I've got to try. I think it's good that we, that we even try, but, but, but when, you, when you run out, when you get to the point you can go no further, that's when you look to God and say, Lord, help me love as you want to me love. How do we help me, Lord God, to do that? We let it happen when we cease from letting the sins and failures impact us to where we lose the grip upon what God gives us. You see, the love of God's bestowed on us when we let it happen. It's intentional. It's not an accident. You've got to let, as the scripture says, let the peace of God rule in your life. Let it. You've got to make a decision to choose. I am going to allow this. I'm going to make room for this. I am going to set myself where God can use me, where God can speak through me. Or you can just go ahead and go your own way. Bearing your own yoke. Will you find God's rest? Will you found the rest of Christ according to him? No. You, like I said, what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over, expecting the different result. That's why so many of the church these days are, are tired and burnt out, eternally turned off to it, because they've been taught to follow a system of rules and regulations and tells them, oh, it's not working for you. Our demands aren't working for you. Guess what? Try harder. Talking to a young woman this week who's living a who's, who's actually been out of a cult for quite a while, and even now, fifteen years later, she struggles within herself to understand that it's okay to think for yourself. It's okay to look to God for yourself. That 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 that, that the guilt and the shame that she that she, that was imposed on her was not her fault. But, but her, her stories are so much like so many of ours. We desire to stick. You know, sometimes I've, 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 I've learned we stick with things that are most familiar. Sometimes when we are in pain, when we are in struggle, we, 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 we persevere in it because it's the most familiar thing to us. It's the thing we can control. It's the thing we can, we can manage the best. Instead of letting God get behind all that, give us a whole new step, a whole new skip in our step. We, we hold on to what seems so much familiar. Like the old saying says, it's the devils you know you want to deal with, not the devils you don't know. Well, let's face it. Jesus is saying, you're not going to find devils. You're going to find me. 
on the other side of that. You're going to find my spirit, my power. Won't you do it? He's come to me, he's saying. Come to me. Corrie Tim Boom was a Dutch member of the resistance of the Nazi invaders in World War II, and she helped hundreds of Jews uh, escape only to find herself becoming a prisoner. Uh, that's a great movie for moving, if, if I want to put a plug in for one. That's, that's a great movie. But even as she was in prison, she was free. Why? Because her yoke was her love of people in the name of Jesus. She was a radiant Dutch Christian, and she served all she could, even the Germans, even the Nazis. And, when, and she returned, uh, and after she returned, she, after she gained her freedom, she served them again. She served both Jewish and German refugees in Holland, even though she lost her sister and father and all of her life. She still came back and served and loved them. What was her secret? What was Corey Tim Boom's desire? What, what was it that really cranked her engine? Her answer was always quite simple when she was asked about it. How, how, you, how can you do that? She would say, well, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you're going to be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. The peace within is where the peacemaking starts. If you're at peace with yourself, you have a peace within, then you're doing that by forgiving. You're doing it by loving. You're doing it by, by reaching out and being what you can't do on your own. Amen? Look at the, the second place God's peace should be active in our lives. is found in, it's described in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 18. It's the peace among. You see, the pieces to our puzzles don't, should never just put us in this private world of bliss where we're just walking around, you know, six inches above the ground, floating, feeling everything is good with us, everything's fine. It is well with my soul, with my soul, with my soul. I'm just so thankful that, that I am not like everybody else. See, that's what too many people in the church today, fall into. They become what some hippies call bliss ninnies. <laughs> they become so caught up in wanting God's blessing, they fail to realize we are blessed to be a blessing. Okay, we, we, those are the people that become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. It's a tough thing to say. But I've known people like that who, who flow in and out of church and, and all they, everything about their spiritual pursuit is about making them feel good. That's why there's things called the prosperity gospel and easy believism and cheap grace all around us where people are just told it's all about you. God wants to be all about you. And he's saying, no, no. Romans 12, 17, 18 says completely different. Romans, Paul writes here, says this. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, leave, live peaceably with all men. That's quite an order, isn't it? But understand, there's a limit there. There's a divine, there's a divine call to live for Christ, to live with people. But understand, there's limits to that. As possible, 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you're going to heap coals of fire in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a divine peace that the yoke of Christ we carry will be used of him to change the world all around us. It's when we become an example of God's love among others. When we take that basket off of our head and our light so shines as we give ourselves to his higher call to be the difference in those lives around us. Now, that's powerful. That's peace. When you can become the peacemaker and extending it to others. Remember that old saying, you should forgive your enemies. Why? Well, that's what Jesus says, but there's a nice little twist. It says, it messes with their minds. Now, that sound, probably sounds a little, how shall I say, edgy. <laughs> but really, that's the whole point, isn't it? You forgive not just, you know, out of a, a requirement. You do out of your heart. You want peace with those who've harmed you. Forgive them. That's a tough thing to say. There's people here I know, I'm certain, have had, had some horrible things go on in their lives. Every one of us know those instances, those people, those incidents, which make it very hard to do such a thing. But that's what, what I'm just telling you what Jesus says. Forgive. So you will be what? Forgiven. You want forgiveness? You better forgive. You have to. Because it's his nature. It's what Jesus would do through us. He forgives so freely. You know, Listen carefully to what it says here. If it's possible, as much as it depends, you live peaceably with all men. Here the Apostle Paul makes clear that Christian grace enables us to do only what we can. And, we, and we're not required to go any further. You know, we can't make everyone live in peace around us. We know that. But we can walk in peace among people and situations that are nothing but full-blown war. And our footsteps are going to rock those worlds. You ever been in a situation in which there's people fighting and, you, and you've seen somebody walk in and just calm peace? You, you, it's almost as if Jesus was there with, you know, calming the seas. But it's just a human being, just, just somebody coming in, just calling everybody out. You see arguments at work. You see fights with friends. There's one, one person that walks in and just, just kind of chills everything, brings that perspective. You see, we can't make everybody, we can't all actually win that every single time. But look at what you're doing. You're going to be forgiving. You're going to be tolerating. You're going to be shining your light and letting God's grace lead you through, uh, through the wrath that you're going to be experiencing. And as you do, you're going to be overcoming evil by your good. That's the response to a fallen world, saints. This is what the world's looking for. And where is it? Finding it. You know, our God, the minister said, a minister said a few years back, our God is a forgiving God. Holding on to anger is like drinking a glass of poison and hoping it's going to kill the other guy. 
That's exactly what it's like. You've got to let things go. And, you've, and, you, and the people you let go of need to know it. You see, this minister's son had locked himself out of his apartment. And when he knocked on a neighbor's door for help, another man shot him in the face and killed him. He's a minister, a pastor. The minister, of course, I, I, I can't even imagine my son, my baby, getting shot in the face in a drunken rage. I can't even imagine. I don't even know how, how, he, how he would even pastor after that. But he did. He's still in the ministry today. And the minister would go on to do something that, that you just, that was so amazing. That it was on news a few years back. That it was amazing. Uh, he would go on to, for, to forgive his son's murder and even preside at his wedding when he was released from jail. That is a man, I think, that understands what the peace among means. He understands peace as something that isn't just, just casually dished out. He understands it's an active reality we got to be a part of. Dylan Roof wanted to start a race war in Charleston, South Carolina. Remember that? What he, he shot nine members of a church Bible study to death. He shot them all dead, even as they welcomed them in to hear the word of God. And at the arraignment, 48 hours later, their loved ones arose individually and told Roof that they forgave him. They understood they would never see their loved ones again, but they would not yield to hate. They would forgive him. They would bless. Ooh, they would bless him. Their decisions arrived at separately and extinguished a fire that hate wanted to ignite into a national inferno in our, in our country back then. See, God's grace won. See, these are people who understand what it means to have a yoke of Christ in them. Amen? They, the yoke of Christ enables you to do things you can't do any other way. What impossible situation of conflict or personal struggle or history are you fighting with today? What are you struggling with? Are you tired, I ask again? Are you weary of fighting it in your own strength? You live as peaceably as you can, and you trust God the rest of it all. That's how you survive and thrive. Amen? You see, God's, you see Jesus told us that we're going to be a city on a hill whose light can't be hidden. And we're going to manifest God's, God's glory or something else one way or the other, brothers and sisters. We're going to be all showing something in our lives. Let's let the world again know that we're Christians by our love. And the last verse I want to look at here is 2 Peter 3, 11 through 15. It's going to be a long reading, so hang with us here. It's something that's far more reaching than perhaps the work I mean, yes, we have the peace within and the peace among all around us that we're extend. But now this is something that, that, that aces it for us. This is, this is where the completion comes in to the pieces of the puzzles that I think will equip us for whatever this world's going to throw at us next. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Be diligent. Be found in peace. He's saying, be ready. Work at it. Carry that yoke. Without spot and blameless. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. How many are looking forward to hearing the music from that world? Thank God for our worship. The worship is, is, is a herald of, of that glorious day. Praise God. But still, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. We've read Romans, we've read Colossians from the Apostle Paul. Now we're reading from the Apostle Peter, amening everything he's just said. The Apostle Peter is encouraging us to do all we can to walk in peace despite what goes on around us. Peter is not pulling any punches here. Amen? He isn't speaking some lyric poetry. This isn't a book report. This isn't some speculation. He's giving us divine revelation. Prophetic insight into I shut that off. Sorry. Thank you. He's giving us prophetic revelation here about the end. It's all still true. The world may laugh at it and make it a joke. To them, it's just another punchline. The thought that this world just might end someday, but it's still true. The world is ending. All around us, we see, is going to burn. I love, I, mean, I, I love the beautiful world that we have. I love the home my wife and I are building. I love the garden we have. I love waking up in the morning and see all the beauty of, the, of, of creation. And yet, God has said he's going to end it someday. We don't know when it's going to be. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just giving you the word of God. This is what the word says. He says, looking forward to these things. What things? All things are going to be dissolved. He uses that, 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 that twice. Things will be dissolved, being on fire. This isn't an imagination. All of the world will pass away with a great noise, the Bible says. Uh, he says, the heavens will be dissolved. There's new heavens, new earth coming. All that we're seeing right now are just harbingers. They're warning signs. They're alerts that something is coming around the bend that we had better be ready for. And again, this, is, this shouldn't freak us out. This should make us shout, amen? This should make us understand there's an end coming, and we need to be ready, and we are given the opportunity to be ready. Hallelujah. We have more of an insight now than the 99% of the world, the people driving past our church, the people in neighborhoods who just live in their own worlds, unaware, or maybe aware, maybe, oh, I've been hearing that all my life. I've been hearing Jesus coming back all my life since I was in Sunday school as a six-year-old. Yes, but you got that much more room now to see it's coming. You say, so how much more should you be a holy people living in, in, in godliness and fear of him and peace? How much more of a people should we be taking up our yokes for? This is why. Not just for us, not just for others, 
but that's also that we can understand where the world is going. God knows what's going to happen. Who, who knows that two years ago, what COVID did, how it completely changed the world. And now it comes and goes. It goes here. It looks like this. It looks like that. How much, how much division have we seen in our nation come upon us? I've never seen America so fractured and so messed up as it is. Uh, the ru- wars and rumors of wars. I mean, we can go on and on and on discussing that. Matthew chapter 24 is like a newspaper article. You want to see the news? I don't even, I don't even, I don't even look, I'm, I'm a news hound. I love watching news. My parents brought me up on Walter Cronkite, CBS, Channel 2 News. I love watching news, but not, I don't even want to do it anymore. It's just all the same. Shootings in Chicago. And on 994. And in Hammond. Stuff going on all around. It's all the same. These are harbingers of our times, saints. It's time we understand that and be sober, as it says here. What manner of persons ought you to be? Be found in him in peace, however. He says, I have, he says, I have overcome the world. Do not be afraid, he says. I have overcome the world. He is the one that is going to lead us through all of this as we give our lives back to him. God's word is still true. We are to be looking forward to it and live as we ought to. Jesus is still coming. If you believe that, then you're going to live the holy life and hold tighter onto that yoke. And roll up your sleeves and... Get to work. He says, be diligent. Look up. Trust in his promises. No matter what happens, whatever jolt of change sweeps into our lives, we're to keep looking up and keep walking in peace. Amen. You'll be at the